This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health. Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexually diverse communities. Coming to you from Joy's Victorian Pride Centre Studios on Boomerang Land, I'm your host, Rachel Cook, joined this week by the lovely Jack Pringenen. How are you, Jack? I'm doing all right, Rachel. How you been? Well, very yeah. good. Well, well, well. What we are going to be speaking about next is the very exciting exhibition at the NGV called Queer yes. Stories from the NGV Collection. Now, you went along to that, I believe. I did, yeah. So, um, funnily enough, I had some friends down from Sydney being like, oh, I want to go to Queer. I'm like, oh, I probably should do that as well. Uh, and yeah, uh, so that it, it takes up the whole third floor of um, NGV. And so there's a bunch of different uh, sections of that area that are cordoned off and sort of split up. And, and it tells... Um, as I believe we're going to speak with Miles Russell Cook, a senior curator at NGV about, um, it weaves together so many different sort of queer stories where silhouettes I, I'd been to um, in Adelaide and that had a very sort of focused story. It was very concise in being, you know, this is the, the story of people that had were invested and did really impressive work, I suppose, in the fashion space, but... It was in the shadow of HIV AIDS, whereas this sort of is far broader in the story that it's trying to tell, where there are still pieces from Peter Tully, from David McDermott, that names that I'd come across before um, at Silhouettes, but I mean, those pieces are next to American artists from, you know, a few decades prior, next to pieces of art from hundreds of years ago from 15, 16, 1700s and then that is next to um, like uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander art from as, as recently as a few years ago so I, I think the diversity was, was really interesting and I'm, I'm keen to speak with um, Miles about that and how you just sort of lead people through that space and bring them on that journey without it being uh, disorienting I guess because when you've got one story to tell or one narrative, I guess, to, to kind of work through. It's a little bit different to everything's queer. Um, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, indeed, if you have any questions or um, topics you'd like us to explore on the show, you can email wellwellwell at joy.org.au and uh, we'd love to hear from you for sure. Uh, but coming up next, we'll delve into the arts with queer stories from the NGV collection with curator Miles Russell-Cook. You're getting well, well, well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. Miles Russell Cook is Senior Curator, Indigenous Art at the National Gallery of Victoria and he's speaking with us about the very exciting exhibition which is happening at the moment at the NGV called Queer, Stories from the NGV Collection. Thanks for joining us, Miles. Thank you so much for having me. Now, let's just start off with why this exhibition and why now? Uh, it's a good question. So... It's actually been about five years in the making, this exhibition. So it began as a response to 
marriage equality and it was really myself and uh, one of the other curators, Angela Hessen, who are the editors of what's called the Art Journal, which is the annual scholarly publication we put out. And we were looking at doing a themed issue that responded to marriage equality. And it was going to be about six essays, so six stories from the collection um, kind of themed around, around queer. And as we kind of did research into that, we realised that there was a lot more than six stories. There was more like 600 stories. And so we kind of expanded to a much bigger curatorial group. And really that was... Um, that was the beginning of the kind of genesis of this as a research project. So it's been about five years in the making. And I guess why now, It's to me, it's about representation and about recognition of where things have been done historically um, and how we can improve as an institution. And so it's kind of just about transparency and about recognition. There's a central theme uh, throughout the exhibition, isn't there? That's love, I guess. Why did you decide to go on that theme? I imagine part of that is on um, marriage equality. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would say that love is the central theme of the exhibition. Obviously, queerness is the you know the theme of the exhibition, but love is definitely at the heart of many, if not most, of the queer stories that are represented throughout the show. I mean, queer stories cover stories of same-sex love and desire, you know, stories about activism, of people fighting for the right to love, stories about people learning to love themselves. So I think love is a, is a central part of what it means to be queer. But queerness itself also kind of has allowed us to look much broader at, you know, queer as a, as a politic, queer as an aesthetic category, um, so queerness is uh, definitely the central theme of the show, but you can't really have one without the other, if that makes sense. I mean, around queerness, it seems like such a, a potentially, uh, as a central theme, it really lends itself to go any direction. How, how did you balance, I guess, um, wanting to go, like, like you said, 600 stories you ended up coming across? How did you kind of bring it down to something a little bit more... Um, uh, streamlined, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, there was a stage when the checklist was over 600 works and I guess the main reason that works got trimmed was either that we felt there was a repetition, so we felt there was already a work in the show that was telling a similar story or a story that was related to a similar experience and so therefore we would prioritise the ones that weren't represented yet. Um, and then the other reason that things kind of get trimmed is simply space. Like the show is already very dense, um, so we didn't have enough walls to include every work. Um, so we kind of often would look at other ways that stories or artworks could be highlighted. So, for example, there's a lot in the catalogue that isn't in the show, um, which is really part of kind of viewing queer as not just an exhibition, but as an exercise in reflection on our past and on our current acquisition strategies and actually looking at it as an ongoing research project that is, you know, we could do this show again in 10 years or we could have done this show 10 years ago. That's kind of the point, is that the collection's always been there and the queer stories have always been in the collection. It's just about focusing and actually sharing them. 
That's actually a really good point about just the physicality of wall space, but that's something you don't even think about as non-curators. <laughs> but it's quite dense. But exactly, but that, that you've actually, you know, you you have like a real physical limitation in, in terms of just, you know, walls. Now, in terms of the representation of the work, I mean, there's such a broad range of artists represented. Uh, Mm. Was it difficult to make sure there was a balanced diversity of artists and, and the works represented? Absolutely. I mean, we're confined to the collection, which over-represents the white male European experience and under-represents just about everyone else. Uh, and that's not an NGV-specific problem. That's a problem for pretty much every museum around the world. Um and we were actually astounded at the breadth of stories that we were able to tell um, that they were far more well represented and far more diverse than really any of us even thought would be achievable going into this. But it still absolutely skews towards, you know, the male experience um, and a European one at that. Um, but what we were able to do, I suppose, that um, is really, you can, it's a bit of a kind of trick a curatorial trick is about placements of works as a tool to kind of create greater presence so you know for example we have two videos by black queer black queer women um tourmaline who's a new york-based transgender artist and a brisbane-based contemporary indigenous artist named hannah bronte and these are both sound works and they're both video works and even though they only occupy one wall they permeate throughout the galleries and they create a much greater presence um, and a kind of bigger bang for your buck i suppose which is a way of really drawing attention attention to the absence that is found in other spaces so it's kind of a, a way that you can i guess place works in order to highlight stories um in a really strong way and then there's also you know just using adjacent works where we had them so works that related to a story but that may not necessarily have been um, by an artist who is from that community but there was a way a kind of stepping stone for us to tell a story um, by using an adjacent work so we've kind of you know done whatever we can to try and represent as much of a diverse um, cross-section of queer stories as, as possible. I mean, speaking about the spaces especially, um, one that kind of stuck out to me was the the dance uh, sort of the dance piece performance uh, situation and, and that yeah, took up yeah. quite a, a quite a significant space certainly and it was, it felt to me not at odds but quite a shift from the rest of uh, the exhibition which is largely, I mean, it has a significant amount of visual work and it has a significant amount of fashion. Um, I, I guess, what was the conversation mm. there around having that part of the exhibition? And also, was it made specifically for queer at NGV or was it um, something that had existed in some form prior to this exhibition? Yeah, so the work is by Pauline Boudry and Renate Lorenz and it was actually presented first at the Venice Biennale in the German Pavilion um, a, a few years ago. And it's, um, as many contemporary installation works, it's uncompromising with its, um, with its dimensions. So that is the required site and size that you need to install that work. And we really found that it was just such an important story and it was such an important way to transport people into a nightclub but also make that um, really powerful conversation about moving backwards and forwards um, and regression as a way of 
of progression um, that we felt resonated very strongly with a lot of the other queer stories throughout the exhibition that it felt, even though it took up so much space and wall space was absolutely at a premium, that it was incredibly important. Um, and, you know, also just as a, as a visitor experience, you want to have that um, kind of shift from being in a very dense gallery where you can spend a lot of time reading and a lot of time um, having an encounter with works to maybe a more contemplative space. Um, so it just felt like that was a really natural work uh, and just such a great thing to have in the collection to be able to get out. Here on Well, 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 we're speaking with Miles <laughs> Russell-Cook, uh, Senior Curator at uh, the National Gallery of Victoria, uh, speaking about queer. Uh, stick with us. We've got more coming up in just a moment. Sexual health, mental health and the overall well-being of our LGBTIQ communities. You're listening to Well, Well, Well. Here on Well, 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 Jack and Rachel are with you speaking with Miles Russell-Cook uh, about queer stories from the NGV collection. Um, I, I guess, uh, Miles, that it, like we were speaking about earlier, um, there is such a diverse range of stories as part of queer. Um, can you walk us through some of the artists included in queer uh, whose work deals with the HIV AIDS epidemic? Absolutely. Um, so there are many artists whose work resonates with stories um, from the HIV and AIDS epidemic. We have um, international AIDS art heroes like you know Keith Haring and David Warnerovich. Um, there's contemporary artists and activist Tourmaline, um, whose film Atlantic is a sea of bones, follows Egypt Labasia, who's a New York-based performer. And that's really a film that's a way to reveal how, um, I suppose, historic and systemic violence um, such as you know, policing and killing of black, queer, trans people continues to uh, affect contemporary landscape and how that's inextricably linked to the AIDS epidemic and um, to HIV. And there's also works by fantastic contemporary Indigenous artists. There's uh, Aaron Meeks, as well as Peter Waples Crow, um, who were both very heavily involved in Indigenous and HIV health and support. Um, I'm thinking, trying to think who else we've got. I mean, obviously, there's amazing Australian artists like David McDermott and Peter Tully and um, Ross T. Smith and William Yang, whose work has explored, I guess, the changing experiences of the gay scene during HIV and AIDS. Um, and something that I think I particularly really love, which is quite unexpected, is um, also a really fantastic design piece, which is by a Melbourne-based um, jewellery designer named Susan Conn, and it's called the Con Dom Box, which is a play on her last name, Con, and it's just a beautiful plastic condom box designed as a utilitarian but very beautiful object um, designed for men to carry in the 80s and 90s when safe sex was, you know, such an important discussion. Um, so there's a lot of works throughout the whole show that deal with HIV and AIDS, but in very different ways, which I think is really um, integral to any conversation. It was pretty extraordinary, wasn't it, to be creating works about this issue back then because HIV AIDS was so stigmatised. It was, in a sense, another closet that these others had to come out of, wasn't it? You know, what strikes you most about these works? I mean, I think that's very true. I think it still is a closet for many people um, and the stigma is still very real for many people. Um, I think there's an extraordinary you know, audaciousness and bravery in a lot of the artists who are making work during really the peak 
Um, but having contemporary responses as well is just such a powerful way to also talk about how much has changed and how, um, you know, now the stigma of HIV being such a, a huge burden for many. Um, but, it, you know, at the same time, we've also had extraordinary um I guess, advancement in, in medical treatment and people who are able to live absolutely like normal life expectancies. Um, so I think it's a really great to have a trans-historical exhibition and a show that compare works from you know the 80s and the 90s through to contemporary recently acquired pieces is a really great way to talk about just how much change has happened in, in a relatively short amount of time. I guess when you're thinking about the, the experience as a curator of someone walking through these spaces, I guess, what is the the train of thought around weaving the stories together where you'll have, in, in certain parts of the exhibition, you'll have pieces of work, you know, three, 400 years old, and around the corner, something that was made as short as 10, 20 years ago, telling very, yeah. very different stories, I guess. Like, is, is that sort of whiplash, I guess, um, in, in your mind as a curator and, and when you put the show together and, and how do you navigate that? I mean, that's my favourite part of the show. Personally, you know, the earliest works in the show are a set of Egyptian amulets from six centuries before the birth of Christ, um, you know, and then we have works that were made in just the last the last 12 months, the last few, you know, couple of years. That to me is extraordinary because that in itself tells you so much about the queer experience and that as queer people we have always been here and that queer stories have always been here. They've not only always been in the NGV collection, but they have, obviously, but their queer stories are human stories and there's no community, no culture, no family around the whole planet um, that hasn't in some way had a, had, doesn't have a queer story, you know, somewhere. And that's something I find really, um, you know, really powerful about the experience of coming to the show. Absolutely. And it's all about representation, which, as you know, we're, we're talking about is so broad at this exhibition. Just going back to uh, the work that is around the AIDS epidemic, what, for people that didn't live through the worst of it uh, in this country, who are going to see the exhibition, what, what are you hoping that they might, you know, take away from looking at those works in particular? Well, I mean, that's a very big question. And I would hope that people would take away a greater understanding and appreciation for the work that a lot of queer artists put in in, the, in that really terrible time in history um, and understanding that so much has changed and also in the same way that HIV is still very real around the world and very much um, still a health crisis for most, uh, for many places around the world. So I guess it's just really I would hope people would take a greater understanding and, uh, and, and be able to come and celebrate some of these extraordinary artists whose work they may may not have heard of. I imagine a lot of people would come in knowing kind of David Wonorovich and Keith Haring, but they might not know some of their Australian counterparts. You know, David McDermott in a lot of ways was the kind of poster boy for HIV-related art in Australia. Um, and extraordinary, extraordinary works um, that people can 
discover, you know, some of us know and love these artists and have for a long time, but maybe people who are coming in for the first time will, will also learn about some of these extraordinary artists. I mean, that, that was certainly my experience as someone who, who didn't live through the, the worst of it, right? Um, Peter Tully yeah. and David McDermott, I had come across, I mean, largely through the work that I'd done with um, so, sort of Thorn Harbour and Well, 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 but it was interesting to yeah. see that, I suppose... So, I mean, I mean, we have a, a, an exhibition silhouette in, in Adelaide that um, one of our, our team members, Sky, has worked on. And it was interesting to see their work through, I, I guess, a different lens because alongside a lot of the Australian artists, a lot of the American artists that were leading the charge in that part of the world at that time, I hadn't come across much of their work. I hadn't really... You know, I, I wasn't as much across it. And so it was interesting to see the the cross-section i guess of more broadly pop culture with um hiv aids activism i, I recall specifically one um artist speaking about uh an actor that s sort of acted in quite macho sort of roles but uh, personally didn't really have that sort of tendency i i, I guess um yeah, I mean, trying to bring all of those different... You said that the queer experience is, is so incredibly diverse, but, I mean, how the hell do you try and bring s such different cultural experiences together to form something so, something that is really a, a cohesive narrative? It's so true, and I guess that's, you know, as queer people, we have one one thing in common, and that is the experience of, of being queer, and of, of, you know, all my... It's like... I was thinking about this the other day, how all marginalised communities around the planet have one thing in common, and that's the experience of being marginalised. And so we often talk about intersectionality as a theme throughout the show as well, and that's kind of looking at the interlocking matrix of oppression that's experienced by marginalised communities around the world, and whether that's being marginalised on the basis of sexuality or of race or socio economic experience or whatever it is the experience of being marginalized is something that unites us and i think that that's uh, that's a really powerful um, part of looking at the collection in this way is that we've really been able to um, bring together such a strong body of works that resonate with our community and i think you know for a lot of us as queer people we're also used to going to museums and looking for these stories and then not being on labels you know, I remember that film, um, you might have seen it, it's called The Celluloid Closet, and it's kind of looking at all of the coded queer messaging in Hollywood um, that we as queer people, we knew how to find a queer coded character in a film. They didn't have to specifically say they were queer, we knew they were queer. And we, in the same way, I think, are used to going to museums, going to collections and looking for queer stories or whispering to one another, you know, this artist actually, da, 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 and having this kind of amazing, um, you know, ability to seek ourselves out. And so that's what I love so much about the show is that these stories have always been on, they've always been there. It's just the first time we've put them on the label. You know, a great example would be we've put out our etching of William Shakespeare many times to tell the story of William Shakespeare. This time we're telling the story of his boyfriend. And, you know, that's a fantastic thing, I think. That's such a great 
analogy, uh, the celluloid closet, because there was all this coded language um, that was used and, and, and coded symbolism as well. I mean, one in particular, I think, is it the Maltese Falcon, where there, there's, it, it's like one of the characters looks like they're performing fellatio on yeah. a on a cane, a walking <laughs> totally. stick, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and that being really true, that it's so nice to go to an exhibition where we're not looking for codes, where it's right there in front of our face. Yeah. Um, could you talk us through yeah. one of the pieces which um, is a favourite of mine, which is um, Stuck On You? That. Oh, yeah, I love that one. That, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, so funny. Big, big it's so many yeah. people have really responded. That, yeah, so the work by um, an artist named Dylan Mooney, who's a UE Tasha Islander and South Sea Islander man from Mackay in North Queensland. And it's act- he's actually the youngest artist represented in the exhibition. And I am I am completely astounded by how, just how much this work has resonated with people. And also when we, you know, when we shared this work, we shared it on our Instagram and you see various kind of, responses um i remember when dylan's work was shared by instagram official the um you know they got how many hundreds of millions of followers um and it was just flooded the comments are just flooded with both rainbow emojis and rainbow flags but also just the most extreme homophobia and I, this work, I mean, to me, that is one of the most gentle and tender works in the show, how that could incite any strong homophobic response from anyone. It is literally a digital work. He's, he's made it on his iPad of two young Aboriginal boys hugging. <laughs> I mean, it's the most beautiful and most simple and most tender, um, you know, it's not about, I guess, erotic love. It's just about tender love and gentle love and yet it has it really kind of has stirred up some extraordinary um extraordinary responses which i guess in one way is a really nice reminder about the importance of why we're doing a show like this you know because around the world there are still many people who um you know, around australia there's so many people who don't um don't share in any kind of acceptance or understanding but yeah it's one of my favorite works too you were talking about um, how the queer experience, I guess, is always evolving, right? And that you could have, you know, this exhibition could have been held 10 years ago and, or, and it could be held in 10 years' time and look completely different. What are some of the stories that uh, you would have liked to have included potentially or, or, or think that people could look into a little bit more if, if they're curious um, after coming away from queer and, and want to kind of experience that in, in, in some other way? Um, what other stories are out there that you, you weren't able to have as part of this exhibition? Well, I think that there's no question that the trans experience is severely underrepresented in this exhibition and in the collection. And part of the, um, by putting a limitation on the checklist that we were only going to um, use works that were in the collection or that were already being acquired, um, that, really shines a light, a very bright light on the gaps in the collection. And those gaps, really through a a project like this, we become accountable to addressing them because we need a collection that represents the audience that comes to visit it, that is, um, you know, constantly pushing itself to become encyclopedic, um, which is probably not ever possible, but 
Um, certainly that's an experience that I would be very excited to see how that develops over the next 10 years and how the collection actually focuses in to tell trans stories and to acquire more trans artists because it is an underrepresented part of the show for sure. Um, but, you know, it, it, there's so much in the show that we've been able to kind of in a similar way say, you know, well, I'd love to see how this informs our ongoing acquisitions strategy, which it already has and already is. Um, and, yeah, you know, whether or not you need to do another sh queer show in 10 years, but maybe it just means that every time we do any show into the future, you can expect to see a lot more queer artists included. Queer Stories from the NGV Collection <laughs> is at NGV International Level 3 now until uh, August 21st. Uh, Miles Russell-Cook, uh, Senior Curator uh, of Indigenous Art at NGV. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us this episode on Well, Well, Well. Thanks so much. You're getting Well, Well, Well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. And that's a wrap on this week's show. Uh, if you want to uh, hear any previous episodes of Well, 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 uh, you can check them out at joy.org.au slash well, 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 including if you're in a bit more of an exhibition sort of mood. Uh, we had a full uh, hour-long special on silhouettes when we went over to Adelaide, Cal and I, and spoke with a bunch of people at the opening night uh, and um, the curators of the exhibition as well. Uh, thanks to our guests this week, Miles Russell Cook from uh, National Gallery of Victoria. But yeah, that is uh, it for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining me in studio, Rachel. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and well-being. Presented by Joy sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website, thornharbour.org. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.